Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, everyone. And this is Devraga Personal Finance, and this is episode 51. In this episode, we'll discuss about SMSF. Now, for all of those listeners overseas, that stands for Self-Managed Super Funds. Now, we'll talk about the pros, the cons, and you know some of the risks associated with SMSFs. Now, if you're new to this podcast channel, you know the motto. The motto of this podcast channel is financial education. It's not personalized financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor nor claim to be giving you personalized financial advice. But I think it's important that if you spend your life trading time for income and working very hard to earn money, at least at the very basics, you should know some of the basic concepts of personal finance. Because after all, you will work hard for your money. So the motto of this podcast channel is the pay yourself concept. And that is you try and save at least 20% of your after-tax income. You pay that money to yourself. What does that mean? That money goes towards investments and you invest it. You do it consistently and you keep reinvesting for the long term and you keep reinvesting the dividends for the long term. And you do it for about 20, 30 or 40 plus years and always try and automate this process. Because with automation, you're less likely to make mistakes, you're more likely to contribute to your future retirement, and more importantly, you won't have that temptation to take that money and spend it. Now, if you did this on an average Australian wage of about $80,000, $85,000, you're more likely to build wealth, much more than what you could have anticipated in your lifetime. And it's not to become rich or become super rich or have all the money in the world. That's not the point. But what money does give you is it does give you options. Money doesn't give you happiness, in my humble opinion. You know, so it gives you options and therefore it enables you to, you know, enjoy your life and help the people around you. And that makes you happy. Now, before the main topic, I've had a couple of questions about my recent post about, um, debt repaying strategies. Um, now, that was on the Facebook page where I talked about the two main strategies um, of debt repayment, and that is the debt snowball and the debt avalanche. Now, this is particularly in relation to non-mortgage debt, okay? So, we're not talking about mortgage debt. We're talking about essentially consumer debt. How do you pay that off as quickly as possible? Now, let's talk about it in a little bit more detail. I've gone into extreme details in my earlier podcast episodes. If you haven't listened to it in chronological order, I suggest you sort of after this episode, go back and listen to the debt repaying strategies episode um, and you'll find out some of the various ways uh, that you can use some of the tactics to try and repay your debt as quickly as possible. 
Now let's talk about Dead Snowball. It was popularised by Dave Ramsey. It wasn't invented by Dave Ramsey. Now Dave Ramsey is a financial talk show host. He's very popular in the United States. He's a multi-millionaire and a self-described redneck hillbilly. Uh, and he's from America's South. Now, here's some crazy views on politics and life in general, but his financial principles are conservative and, in my view, are actually quite sound. The strategy of debt snowball is based on the fact that finance is largely behavioural and you need little wins when it comes to finances. And the debt snowball strategy provides you with those little wins and you can use those little wins as motivational factors in order to pay your debt off as quickly as possible. So what you do is you line up your debt from smallest to largest in terms of the actual value, not according to the interest rate. And then you make minimum payments on all of the debts, except the smallest, put all the remaining money that you have into the smallest debt and clear it as quickly as possible. Now, part of this is also developing a side hustle, getting a side income, etc. So you can make more money and lump it into the smallest debt. Once the smallest debt is cleared, you get a win, a small boost to your ego and mental state, and you get a bit of motivation. You repeat the process, and note that always be a smallest debt as you clear them one by one, until you pay off all of those debts. And lastly, you make sure you never borrow consumer debt ever again. Now, it's important to realize the one thing about this strategy is it's not mathematically sound. And what does that mean? because it doesn't take into account the interest rates. So, it doesn't mean that, yes, it's a really, really, really really quick way to pay off your debt, but it may actually end up costing you a little bit more to pay off all of that debt. So, therefore, there is another strategy, which is called the debt avalanche, which is based on interest rates. So, this is also called the mathematically sound strategy when paying off debt. You line the debts up from the highest interest rate to the lowest interest rate. And remember, not according to value this time, but according to highest to the lowest interest rates. You make minimum monthly payments for all debts except the highest interest rate. You make extra money, side hustle, and earn extra income, and do what you can to make extra repayments on the highest interest rates uh, debt. Okay. As you knock the highest interest rate debt down, you use the same strategy to pay off the next highest interest rate debt. Now, this is a mathematically sound strategy and will save you the most money in the long run. The underlying point of debt repayment strategies, guys, is automation, if possible. You need to try and automate this as much as you possibly can. Sorry, I've still got a bit of a flu, so sorry for the husky voice. And the number two thing is you must have discipline. Without discipline, none of the debt paying, uh, repaying strategies works. And number three is you try not to borrow money ever again outside of the mortgage. Now, arguably, try not to borrow money, try not to borrow money for mortgage as well, arguably. But I can understand that it can be quite a hefty task to pay cash for homes, so I understand that. So try not to borrow money ever again outside of your mortgage, okay? Because there's no point paying off debt if you're going to keep borrowing consumer debt. There's absolutely no point. So you need to change your behavior in the long run. Now, remember, the people that lend you money, they make their money by charging interest. They have no interest in you paying it off on time. They have no interest in you paying it off quicker. Because the only way they're going to make more money is if you drag out the consumer loans for as long as you possibly can. So, essentially, trying to build wealth 
and try and be financially independent. With consumer debt, it's a bit like swimming in a pool with a weight attached to your leg. It's just going to drag you down, slow you down, and possibly even drown you. So both the debt snowball and debt avalanche strategies is called the accelerated debt repaying strategy. So hopefully that clarifies things. Now it's important to look at the evidence. So what does the evidence suggest? Out of these two strategies, which of the strategies are actually better off in terms of debt reduction in the long term? Now, even though the debt avalanche strategy is mathematically sound, um, and it's a better way to pay off debt from a mathematical standpoint, the debt snowball is more successful because of the psychological boost that it gives the person. Here are some steps that you can use to focus on getting out of debt. Okay? Number one, you've got to do the math first. If the debt snowball is going to cost you way more money and you think you're disciplined enough, then the debt avalanche is the way to go. Make the rational choice. So the rational choice is always going to be the debt avalanche, but with a caveat that you need to be disciplined and you need to know what you're doing and you need to have the capacity to automate this process so that you don't derail your plan. Number T, uh, three, sorry, keep tabs on your motivation. So if you're doing debt avalanche and you find that your motivation is dying with debt avalanche, swap over to debt snowball to build up some confidence and a few wins. So swap over and pay off the small debts off first. So you can actually switch between the two if you really wanted to. Try and focus on the one debt at a time. Trying to do too many things at once in life in general kind of doesn't work and you kind of lose track. If you focus your efforts on one thing, then you're more likely to get it done. Okay? And we know that in other areas of life, whether it be task-orientated uh, you know, management or whether you want to achieve a particular goal at your workplace or in your personal life. or And that's exactly the same concept in personal finance as well. If you try and do one thing at a time, you're more likely to be successful doing that one thing. And easier said than done, stick to the plan. That's going to be the crux of the matter because there's no point developing a debt snowball plan or a debt avalanche plan if you're going to be deviating from that plan. So those are the two main strategies of debt repaying. Like I said, if you want to listen to it um, again, maybe go back to the earlier podcast episodes that I've done on it. Um, I've gone into detail and there's actually other debt repaying strategies that I haven't really covered, but these are the main two ones. Um, And certainly if you have debt, list them out from largest to smallest or smallest to largest or highest interest to lowest interest and get rid of them. Get them out of your life. Start swimming without a weight attached to your leg because that's going to end up contributing to your retirement. That's going to end up having a positive motivational focus on your health, uh, financial health that is. And, uh, you know, you have greater opportunity to be financially independent and building wealth in the long term. Now to the main topic, what is a self-managed super fund or SMSF? Is it useful What are the pros and cons? I know a lot of listeners out here are health professionals, doctors, dentists, nurses, etc. I know a lot of you own your own practices, own your own businesses, because in Australia, a doctor is essentially 
um, their own entity mostly. You know, sometimes they're employed, but they're not. I know there's a fair few people out there who run your own small business, and I know there's a fair few um, uh, uh, tradies out there who run your own business. So, uh, and I know that your accountant may or may not have contacted you about starting an SMSF. And I think it's useful to know some of the basics, some of the pros and some of the cons and some of the risks associated with it. So listen up. Now, for overseas listeners, um, even though this particular episode might not be highly relevant to your personal circumstance, I still think it's worth listening to because there are some of the things that you may gain out of this that you can apply in your own life. Even though you may not have a superannuation system in your country, or even though you may not have a generous superannuation system in your country. So, what is superannuation? Just very briefly, in Australia, we have a system called superannuation. It has existed now for about 30 plus years as a mandatory comp- uh, contribution to your retirement. Currently, employers must pay 9.5% on top of a person's wage um, into their retirement fund. The employee chooses the retirement fund called a superannuation fund. Okay. The money is then held in a superannuation account in that fund, and to some extent, the employee has options on where the money is invested in the form of various assets, stocks, bonds, cash, real estate, REITs, property trust, etc., etc. Now, currently, the money is pre-tax contribution. That is, the employer pays 9.5% of an employee's wage. So, supposing you earn $1,000 a month, then the employer will contribute 9.5% of the $1,000 on top of the $1,000 that you're already receiving and take away that 9.5% and put it into your superannuation fund that the employee has nominated to them when they've got the job. And there's a limit on that in Australia. So pre-tax contribution limit is about $25,000. And the employee... E after the you know money you know after they get the thousand dollars they pay the tax and they get the after tax income, the employee can then contribute on top of that to the superannuation if they wish, and that's called a post tax contribution that the employee can make. But as a minimum, the employer has to pay nine point five percent in Australia, and over time the plan is to increase it to twelve percent. Now that should have happened many many years ago, but unfortunately the previous governments, um, I think it was John Howard and. Even Kevin Rudd has basically delayed that. They're the ex-prime ministers of this country, have delayed that, um, and now they're trying to get it done, I think, you know, in 2021 or 2022. I I can't remember the exact date. And the post-tax contributions are capped at about $100,000. So in Australia, there are large superannuation companies that manage money for millions and millions of Australians. Now, if you don't want that, and you've got your own business, or you just want to start up your own super, you can, and that is what the SMSF system is. That is a self-managed superannuation fund, which is the focus of this podcast episode. So in a sense, a self-managed super fund is a private superannuation fund, which is still regulated by the ATO, just like all the other major super funds in Australia, that you manage yourself. It can have up to four members, whilst bigger funds might have hundreds and thousands of members pulling their money. The SMS SMSF can have up to four members in that private superannuation fund. Now, the structure of that is that all members of the SMSF must be trustees and all of them are responsible for the decisions made about the fund and the compliance with the relevant laws. That's really important. 
We'll talk about that later in this podcast episode. So if you have a look at what happens with traditional super funds, that is these big companies that run you know, superannuation uh, for many, many millions of Australians, they have pre-existing fund styles or investment styles which may or may not suit the individual. So with the existing superannuation system with traditional super funds, you may not have the choice to invest in specific asset classes um, such as artwork or, you know, cars or whatever it is, okay? So they may have styles such as conservative, which is heavily invested in bonds or cash reserves. They may have styles such as aggressive and growth, which is heavily invested in stocks, local and international. Or they may have styles which are called balanced funds, which have a bit of everything in it. But these are all basically predetermined baskets of investment styles, which have a little bit of stocks, a little bit of bonds, a little bit of property, a little bit of cash, a little bit of commodities, a little bit of gold. So they sort of spread it out and they have fund managers that sort of manage this on a long-term basis. Now, those styles of investing may have asset allocation which may or may not suit the individual. So it may or may not suit you. And you can tweak it to some extent with some of these superannuation funds. But in terms of overarching choice, there's little choice sometimes. For example, if you wanted to invest in collectibles or artwork like I talked about in your superannuation investments, well, that's not actually possible with my current super because I'm with an industry super fund. Now, generally speaking, though, the fees may be lower because the funds are huge. They have millions and millions of customers or you know, people that use those funds to invest those. And they're often associated with specific industries such as construction workers or teachers unions or healthcare workers and therefore, by pooling the money and having thousands and thousands of members, it brings down the investing cost. And that's why in Australia, we have an industry super fund system where members, or you know, generally the public, are advised to make sure they check what the fees they're paying for their superannuation, because fees are killers. And again, I've talked about this previously in my earlier episodes, and they're encouraged to go back and check the fees of those superannuation funds. And generally speaking, if it's an industry superannuation fund, the fees are going to be lower. Okay? So, if you have an industry super fund, you're getting paid, you have relatively, you know, reasonable choice in investment, maybe not, you know, every single asset class, but you have stocks and bonds, etc. And the fees are going to be relatively low, and you have fund managers that manage this, then what's the point of having a self-managed super fund? Why go through all the fuss to create a self-managed super fund? I can sum it up with one word, choice. It allows you to specifically choose your investments and it gives you options, but that's a rather simplistic view. So let's dive deeper into the pros and cons of an SMSF. Now, for the purposes of this podcast channel, an SMSF is going to be called a self-managed super fund. Okay, I'm not going to you know, spell it out each time. So what are the pros? Number one, it has some tax effectiveness. Let me give you an example. Suppose you own and operate a business. So all your doctors and, you know, dentists and, you know, tradespeople out there that have small businesses or retail shops, etc. The business premise can be owned within the SMSF. This means the business will have to pay rent to the SMSF. And this means the SMSF that generates this income from the rent would only pay concessional tax on the rent and also benefit from the usual business tax deductions. So the tax rates for investments within the SMSF, the income generated, is far concessional 
you know, individual tax rates in Australia. Individual tax rates in Australia are one of the highest in the world. We're up to 45% tax rates. Um, so this allows to have some sort of tax effectiveness. It also allows for asset, production, uh, asset protection, beg your pardon, and also succession planning as well. Number two, making decisions to buy and sell assets in an SMSF is far quicker. Often in larger funds, the time it takes to make a decision for the, and for the decision to be executed can be laggy. Okay? You avoid it with SMSFs because it's smaller and more efficient. So supposing in my particular super fund, I want to go and I want to change from a balanced portfolio to a conservative portfolio. I can do it online, but it's going to take some days for that to happen, whereas, you know, maybe even some weeks. Um, now, in the SMSF sector, you can do it pretty much today if you really wanted to. Number three, you have more widespread investments that are available to a person that has an SMSF as opposed to traditional superannuation funds. So traditional superannuation funds do not allow for things like direct property, unlisted shares, artwork, and other exotic or not-so-common investments. SMSFs allow for all of these or anything you want to invest in, so the options are endless. And SMSFs can also buy direct shares, which is often not possible in larger superannuation funds because they're going to invest in a pool of index funds or pool of shares, okay? Number four, fees can be less, but not always, okay? So the first thing I want you to do after listening to this episode is go back and check your superannuation statement to make sure that you are with an industry super fund because otherwise you might be hemorrhaging fees, which is just a waste of your money. And fees are absolute killers in terms of your retirement. And if you're not in an industry super fund and you're not interested or not in a profession that allows for an SMSF to be created, then swap over to an industry super fund, okay, to make sure that you're not paying fees that you don't really need to pay because the superannuation that is not industry super fund, you're paying higher fees and probably getting the same or lower performance in the long term. But SMSFs can have lower fees even than that. And this all depends on the size of your SMSF, okay? The fee structures for SMSF are no more, uh, you know, they're basically more or less fixed. With larger funds, unless you are with your industry super funds and have a low cost ratio, your expense ratio may actually be very high. So beware the people that are with retail funds, okay? So go, go after this episode and check what fund you're with. But for SMSFs to be beneficial from a fees and cost perspective, you need to have a fairly decent balance, okay? If you have a balance of twenty, thirty thousand 30000 in your super, you're not going to be bothered setting up an SMSF. So I would say if you have about a half a mil to a million dollars in your retirement fund, maybe it can work for lower balances, but half a mil to a mil, it may actually work out better for you to have an SMSF. You need to talk to your accountant about it or your lawyer, etc., whoever does this, or your financial advisor to do the sums, rather than sticking with an industry super fund. Point number five, you avoid painstaking administrative burden. Okay, Now, if you wanted to do anything with a larger fund, calling them, emailing them, or accessing the online fund, it's all a bit of a drag. It's not as easy as what it should be. With a tightly knit SMSF, you can make decisions quicker and execute them quicker, and there is less administrative burden. Point number six, you can buy assets which you couldn't afford before. So remember, if you can get four members in an SMSF to pool their capital, then you can potentially buy assets which were not possible before, particularly direct property. You can pool your money and buy bigger homes or commercial property or whatever it is that you want to do. Now, 
these are the pros and these are the benefits of having SMSF. Like all things in life, there's going to be some negatives about SMSF. So let's go into them and dive right into the depth of it. The first one is the professional administrative service. Okay. It's time consuming potentially when compared to an industry super fund. Remember, you're primarily responsible for the day-to-day running of your superannuation fund, the SMSF. So be prepared to be contacted, re-decision-making all the time. So when you look at my superannuation, I'm with an industry super. My employer directly puts the money, the 9.5% of what I earn in income, straight into the superannuation fund. I periodically check it. I check my investments, you know, maybe once a year, whatever it is. That's it. I don't have to worry about where the money goes, what shares to buy, what property to buy. It's just diversified. Now, that's a bit of a cop-out. You can say, oh, you know, maybe I'm not performing as well in my super. I've checked my super over the last sort of 10 years or so. It's performed reasonably well, you know, despite the uh, GFC. But of course, I have other investments outside of my super, such as property, index funds, etc. So, uh, but, you know, the uh, administrative service, um, you know, so SMSF can be quite burdensome and you need to be relatively on the ball and check on it relatively frequently um, and you need to be prepared to act on any things that are happening, uh, you know, then and there, basically. Point number two, you need to have some investment knowledge with SMSF. I'd be very, very cautious about going into the SMSF route if you don't know anything about personal finance or investments or retirement because, you know, it's a little bit more complex I think it pays to learn about it and hence this episode and also learn about investing in general and hence this podcast channel, okay? So you're basically actively investing to some extent because you're choosing and picking and choosing which investments to hold um, and you need to know what you're doing. So you can have an SMSF with a REIT if you wanted to. You can own an SMSF with index funds if you wanted to, but you're still actively choosing that um, to do that and and, you know, you can buy gold if you wanted to. You can buy cars if you wanted to. But you need to then select what car to buy and when to buy, etc., etc. Now, Now, for that to happen, you need to have some investment knowledge, which means you need to have some knowledge of risk and volatility. I might know a good podcast channel which talks about such concepts in detail. I might. Um, you need to know about risk versus return. Um, and you can, you know, you can rely on your financial advisor to do this if you really wanted to. But in my view... It's not wise to just rely on your financial advisor or your accountant. You still need to know the basics in order to quiz your financial advisor. So you need to arm yourself with knowledge to be able to go to your financial advisor and say, hey, why is my SMSF invested in this particular thing when the fees are this and when the performance is this when I could have invested in that? You need to have that level of knowledge to be able to have that conversation. Point number three, penalties for non-compliance. This is important. All members are all trustees of the SMSF and have a shared responsibility for all compliance. So if one member makes a willing mistake and you don't pick it up and you're the other guy, you could all pay the price, okay? The ATO can really open a can of whoop-ass. For overseas listeners, the ATO is the Australian Taxation Office. It can really open a can of whoop-ass if you don't comply with the regulations and rules. You can also face civil and criminal sanctions for any serious breaches. Now, if you're investing in a superannuation fund, which is an industry super, that's all regulated by the ATO. They have, you know, um, uh, external audit people that come and audit these things and they have systems and processes in place, you would hope. Um, and if there's any breaches, then the ATO comes after them as well. But, you know, uh, you're not 
I guess you're not personally liable in that situation or to be the person that runs the fund. But in this particular case, it is your self-managed super fund. So you are self-managing it. So you are personally liable for any particular breaches uh, in financial law. Inadequate diversification is the other con. Many people in Australia establish as MSF just to buy a single business or property. Now, this is dangerous in my view, and the lack of diversification is a real risk in the long term. If things crash with the business or property prices crash, then you're likely to lose all of your money. So, again, if you have an industry super fund, you can diversify pretty easily. If you have an SMSF, you know, if you, you know, if, if, you, if you just buy a property or a business, I think it's just a bad move. I mean, if you had an SMSF, you probably should just uh, diversify in the share portfolio and, and, and just buy an index fund, to be honest. Now, if that asset that you buy that is a property or the um, you know, business that you buy, if it's highly geared, that is, they have a huge loan ratio, then the danger for retirement just intensifies significantly. Number five, the high costs, especially if you have a small balance. If you're planning an SMSF with a specific balance in mind, check out the fees of larger funds and see if your SMSF can beat that. If your SMSF can't beat that, you know, that includes your uh, chartered accountancy fees, your lawyer fees, your audit fees, your compliance fees, the ATO compliance fees, etc. Then, you know, if you can beat that, then yeah, set up an SMSF. If you can't beat it in terms of fees and performance, then absolutely no point in doing that. Number six, dominant trustee. Now, you may have one trustee or a member who's a dominant force, including investment decisions. They make all the decisions for the SMSF. Now, that's a bit of a uh, you know, it's a bit like owning an apartment in a building where some apartment owners basically run the body corporate meetings and do things to suit themselves. If you're in this position and you're a passive, then who's actually safeguarding your retirement? Who's protecting your interest? So having a dominant trustee is always a red flag. So again, you've got to get a group of people that have shared values and shared interests and shared goals in terms of retirement if you're going to run a successful SMSF um, uh, in your life. Now, of course, like all things in life, SMSF is a retirement fund. So again, if I have an industry super fund, I've got money in it, I can't touch it till I retire, the same rules apply, okay? You can't use the SMSF to, um, you know, run your pre-retirement lifestyle, okay? So a lot of people think they can do that. You can't do that because that's against the rules. So you're bound by the same rules as everyone else is uh, if they went to an industry super fund, for example. Point number eight the difficulty in managing an SMSF to the same intensity. And I think this is something that probably doesn't get much attention. As you get older, then what happens? Who's going to be actively managing your SMSF? So what is going to be the succession planning here? You might lose interest. Everyone starts off with great amount of interest in managing their SMSF. But after a while, you might lose interest, particularly after a crash. Then what happens? You know, you're going to close it down and go to an industry super fund. Um, if investments don't do well... Then, then what happens? Are you, are you going to use an SMSF advisor to try and advise you where to put the money? And that's going to have a cost associated with it. And what is the contingency planning? If it doesn't work out, if it costs too much, if your investments are not doing well, what are you going to do? A lot of people don't think about this when they start an SMSF. As long as you have those strategies in place and systems and processes in place, and you've thought about contingency planning, then if SMSF works out well for you, then I say go for it, Okay. But what happens in real life is these funds tend to linger around for a long, long time, well past their use-by date, and their efficiency just runs dry after some time. So that's about it. That's all about SMSFs in terms of basic knowledge that you'll need to know. Of course, you need to go and do your own research in terms of investments that you want to buy within it 
and how it can benefit your personal situation. And for that, you might want to consult your accountant or your financial advisor. So let's summarize what we've discussed in this episode. We've discussed initially about debt repayment strategies, the debt snowball, where you line up all the debt smallest to largest and attack them with intensity one by one, or line them up according to the interest rates, and that's called the debt avalanche, and attack them one by one. The power of focusing on one thing is really, really important. Point two, we discussed about what the evidence suggests and that debt snowball tends to be more successful when it comes to getting rid of debt, but it all depends on your discipline. You must have discipline. You must have automation techniques in order to handle that. Point three, we discussed about superannuation, what it is in Australia, and what is an SMSF, and we discussed some of the pros and cons of an SMSF. Now, the final point, what do I think about SMSF? I don't have one. I've been suggested to have one. I don't have one uh, because I'm not an active investor. I can see the value in it, but you need to look at the compliance costs. If you have a balance of a million dollars and are spending tens of thousands of dollars for compliance costs to the ATO, your lawyers, your accountants, to manage the SMSF, then the cost-benefit ratio is not great. Okay, so I don't see the point in that. Um, I also don't see the point in actively investing. You know, I don't just go and buy one particular share. Um, I don't go and buy, you know, I don't actively chop and change my investments. I have a system in place. I've had it in place for many years and I just execute that system. And so far it's worked out well. I don't hold exotic items as investments. I don't buy artwork or collectible cars. Um, uh, I don't actively invest in general. So I don't think for me, at this stage of my life, creating an SMSF is worthwhile. Now, maybe later on in life, and I want to have a bit of tax effectiveness, maybe, I'm not sure. But I've done the sums, we've worked it out, and it just doesn't add up in terms of tax efficiency and in terms of costs, compliance costs and dealing with all the hassle of the SMSF. So I just invest with my industry super fund, which is I'm a healthcare worker. We have a lot of industry super funds in Australia for that. Costs are relatively low. Performance has been okay. That's okay. I don't mind. Uh, In addition to what I do outside of investing in the super is I have my own index funds, property, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'd be really interested in your experience. I know many of you might actually have an SMSF fund. I know a couple of you actually contacted me, hence sparring this, you know, generating this episode and some of you have told me that your compliance cost on a yearly basis for an SMSF is upwards to about six or seven thousand dollars for an SMSF that has holdings of about sort of three hundred four hundred thousand dollars that's a significant cost Um, that's in addition to the contributions tax and all that sort of stuff so again you got to do your sums okay so I'd be really interested in your experience Um, so what's your opinion drop a comment on Facebook or on CastBox, or my email, um, or personally message me. I just want to hear what your thoughts are, what you think your benefits have been, what you think your losses have been in having an SMSF. Now, like always, not a financial advisor. Go check it out um, with your financial advisor and your accountant, and make sure you do your sums. And until next time, remember the motto, pay yourself first, keep it very, very simple, save 20% of your after-tax income, and ensure you invest it and reinvest the dividends, and always try and automate it. Until next time, stay safe. Hold up, what was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 